0: Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Arthur Piantadosi. Chapter 24. Contains some introductory particulars relative to a young gentleman who now arrives upon the scene and a new adventure which happened to oliver it was almost too much happiness to bear oliver felt stunned and stupefied by the unexpected intelligence he could not weep or speak or rest He had scarcely the power of understanding anything that had passed until after a long ramble in the quiet evening air a burst of tears came to his relief and he seemed to awaken all at once to a subtle sense of the joyful change that had occurred the almost insupportable load of anguish which had been taken from his breast the night was fast closing in when he returned homeward laden with flowers which he had culled with peculiar care for the adornment of a sick chamber as he walked briskly along the road he heard behind him the noise of some vehicle approaching at a furious pace looking round he saw that it was a post-chaise driven at great speed and as the horses were galloping the road was narrow. He stood leaning against the gate until it should have passed him. As he passed on, Oliver caught a glimpse of a man in a white cap whose face seemed familiar to him, although his brief it was so brief he could not identify the person. In another second or two, that cap was thrust out of the chase window, and a stentorian voice bellowed to the driver to stop. And she did, as soon as he could pull up those horses then the nightcap once again appeared and the same voice called oliver by his name here cried the voice oliver what's the news miss rose master Alt-Liver. is it you giles cried oliver running up to the chaise door giles popped his, nightca- uh, his nightcap again preparatory to making some reply when he was suddenly pulled back by a young gentleman who occupied the other corner of the chaise and who eagerly demanded what was the news In a word, cried the gentleman, better or worse. Better or much better, replied Oliver hastily. Thank Heaven exclaimed the gentleman. You are sure. Quite, sir, replied Oliver. The change took place only a few hours ago. Mr Larsburg says that all danger is at an end. The gentleman said not another word, but opening the chase door, leaped out and taking Oliver hurriedly by the arm, led him inside. You are quite certain there is no possibility of any mistake on your part, of my boy, is there? demanded the gentleman in a tremulous voice. Do not deceive me by awakening hopes that are not to be fulfilled. I am not for the world, sir, replied Oliver. Indeed, you may believe me, Mr Osborne's words were that she would live to bless us all for many years to come. I heard him say so. The tears stood in Oliver's eyes as he recalled the scene which was the beginning of so much happiness the gentleman turned his face away and remained silent for some minutes. Oliver thought he heard him sob more than once. but He feared to interrupt him by any fresh remark, for he could well guess what his feelings were. And so stood apart, failing to be occupied with his nosegay. I, Mister Giles, with the white nightcap on, had been sitting on the steps of the chaise. Supporting an elbow on each knee and wiping his and the eyes with a blue uh, cotton pocket handkerchief dotted with white spots, that the honest fellow had not been feigning emotion he was abundantly demonstrated by the rarely red eyes with which he regarded the young gentleman when he turned round and addressed him. I think you would better go on to my mother's in the chaise," Giles said he. "I would rather walk slowly on, so as to gain a little time before I see her. Who can say I am coming? I beg your pardon, Mister Harry," said Giles, giving a final polish to his ruffled countenance with the handkerchief. Well, "If you leave the post boy say that, I should be much more more obliged to you. It wouldn't be proper for the maids to see me in this state, sir. I should never have any more authority with them if they did. Well," said Harry Bailey, smiling, "you can do as you like. Let him go on with the luggage if you wish it." And do you follow with us only first exchange that nightcap for something more appropriate covering or we shall be taken for madmen. Mr. Giles, reminded of his unbecoming costume, snatched off and pocketed his nightcap and substituted a hat of grave and sober shape which he took out for the chaise. This done, the postboy drove off. Giles, Mr. Maylie, and Oliver followed at their leisure. As he walked along, Oliver glanced from time to time, with much interest and curiosity, at the newcomer. He seemed about five and twenty years of age, and was of the middle height. His countenance was frank and handsome, his demeanor easy and proposing. Notwithstanding the difference between youth and age, he bore a so strong a likeness to the old lady that Oliver would have had no great difficulty in imagining their relationship, if he had not already spoken of her as his mother. Mrs. Maylie was anxious uh, waiting uh, to receive her son when he reached the cottage. The meeting did not take place without great emotion on both sides. Mother, whispered the young man, why did you not write before? I did, replied Mrs. Mayley, but on reflection. I determined to keep back the letter until I had heard Mr. Lawsburn's opinion. But Why? to the young man. Why run the chance of that occurring which healing would so happen and if it Rosa it? I cannot honour the word now. If this illness had terminated differently, how could you ever have ever forgiven yourself? How could I ever have known happiness again? If that had been the case, Harry, said Miss Bailey, I fear your happiness would have been effectually blighted, and that your arrival here a day sooner or a day later to be of very very little import and who can wonder if it be so mother rejoined the the young man why should i say if it is it is you know it mother you must know it i know she should be the best and purest love the heart of man can offer said miss maylie I know that a devotion and affection of a nature requires no ordinary return, but one that should be deep and lasting. If I did not feel this, no, besides, this change of behaviour, and one she loved would break her heart. I should not feel my task so difficult of performance, or I have to encounter so many struggles in my own bosom, and I take what seems to me to be the strict line of duty. It is unkind, mother, said Harry. You should suppose I am a boy ignorant of my own mind and mistaking the impulses of my own soul. I think, my dear son, returned Mrs. Mayley, laying her hand upon his shoulder, that you this many generous impulses which do not last, that among them are some which being gratifying, become only the more fleeting, above all, I think, said the lady, fixing her eyes on her son's face. But if an enthusiastic and art and ambitious man marry a wife on whose name there be a stain, which through it all on uh, Jane known no fault of hers, may be visited by cold and sordid people upon her, and upon his children also, in exact proportion to its success in the world, be cast in his teeth, and made the subject of sneers against him. He may, no matter how generous and good his nature, one day you repent of the connection he formed in early life and she may have the pain of knowing that he does so mother said the young man impatiently he would be a selfish brute unworthy alike of the name of man and of the woman you describe who acted thus you think so now harry replied his mother and ever will said the young man the mental agony i have suffered During the last two days rings from me the avowal of you, of a passion which, as you well know, is not one of yesterday, nor one I have lightly formed. On Rose, sweet, gentle girl, my heart is set, as firmly as ever heart of man was set on woman. I have no thought, no view, no hope in life beyond her, and if you oppose me in this great stake, you will take my peace and happiness in your hands, and cast them into the wind. Mother, think better of this, and of me, do not disregard the happiness of which you they seem to me think so little. Harry said, Mrs. Mayley, it is because I think so much of warm and sensitive hearts that I would spare them from being wounded, but I have said enough and more than enough on this matter just now. Let it rest with rose, then interposed Harry. "'You will not press these strained opinions of yours so far "'as to throw any obstacle in my way.' "'I will not,' rejoined Mrs. Mayley. "'But I would have you consider.' "'I have considered,' was the impatient reply. "'Mother, I've considered years and years. "'I've considered ever since I have been capable of serious reflection. "'My feelings remain unchanged.' As they ever will, why should I suffer the pain of the delay in giving them vent? And she will be productive of no earthly good. No! Before I leave this place, Rose shall hear me. She shall, said Miss Maylie. There is something in your manner that, which would almost imply that you would hear me coldly, mother, said the young man. Not coldly rejoined the old lady. Far from it. How, then? urged the young man. She has formed no other attachment. No, indeed, replied his mother. You have, or I mistake, too strong hold on her affections already. What I would say, resumed the old lady, stopping her son as he was about to speak, is this before you stake your all on this chance, before you suffer yourself to be carried to the highest point of hope, reflect for a few moments, my dear child, on Rose's history, and consider what effect the knowledge of her doubtful birth may have on her decision, devoted as she is to us, with all the intensity of a noble mind, and with the perfect sacrifice of self, which in all matters, great or trifling, has always been her characteristic. What you mean that i leave you to discover replied miss Maylie. i must go back to her god bless you i shall see you again to-night said the young man eagerly by and by replied the lady when i leave rose you will tell her i am here said harry of course lied miss Maylie, and say how anxious i've been and how much i've suffered now I long to see her! You will not refuse to do this, mother? No, said the old lady. I will tell her all. And pressing her son's hand affectionately, she hastened from the room. Mr. Lawsburn and Oliver had remained at another end of the apartment while this hurried conversation was proceeding. The former now held out hand to Harry Maylie, and their hearty salutations were exchanged between them. The doctor then communicated implied to the multifarious questions from his young friend a precise account of his patient's situation which was quite as consolatory and full of promise as all of his statement had encouraged him to hope and to the whole of which mr giles who affected to be busy about the luggage listened with greedy ears have you shot anything particular lately giles inquired the doctor when he had concluded. not particularly sir Replied Mr Giles, colouring up to the eyes. "'Nor catching any thieves, nor identifying any housebreakers,' said the doctor. "'Nor at all, sir,' replied Mrs Giles, with much gravity. "'Well,' said the doctor, "'I am sorry to hear it, because you do that sort of thing admirably. "'Pray, how is Brittles?' "'The boy is very well, sir.' "'said Mr. Giles, recovering his usual turn of patronage, "'and says his respectful duty, sir.' "'That's well,' said the doctor. "'See, you here reminds me, Mr. Giles, "'that on the day before that uh, on which I was called away so hurriedly, "'I executed, at the request of your good mistress, "'a small commission in your favour. "'Just step into the house corner for a moment, will you?' "'Mr. Giles walked into the corner with much importance.' and some wonder and was honoured by the small uh, spring conference with the doctor on the termination of which he made a great many bows and retired with steps of unusual stateliness the subject-matter of his conference was not disclosed in the parlour the kitchen was speedily enlightened concerning it. While well, Mr. Giles walked straight thither and having called for a mug of ale, announced with an air of majesty Mr. State which was highly effective, that he had pleased his mistress, in consideration of his gallant behaviour on the occasion of the attempted robbery, to deposit in the local savings-bank the sum of five-and-twenty pounds, for his sole use and benefit. At this the two women servants lifted up their hands and eyes, and supposed Mr. Giles, pulling out his shirt-flue, replied— no no and that if they observe that he was as haughty to his inferiors he will thank them to tell him so and then he made a great many other remarks no less illustrative his humility which were received with equal favour and applause and were withal as original and as much to the purpose as the remarks of great men commonly are above stairs the remainder of the evening passed cheerfully away for the doctor was in high spirits However, fatigued or thoughtful Harry male might may have been at first. "'It was not proof against the worthy gentleman's good humour, "'which displayed itself in a great variety of sallies "'and professional recollections and an abundance of small jokes, "'which struck Oliver as being the drollest things he had ever heard, "'and caused him to laugh proportionately, "'to the evident satisfaction of a doctor, "'who laughed moderately at himself. "'It made Harry laugh almost as heartily, "'by the very force of sympathy.' "'So they were as pleasant a party as, under the circumstances, they could well have been. "'It was late before they retired, with light and thankful hearts, to take that rest of which, after the doubt and suspense they had recently undergone, they stood much in need. "'Oliver rose next morning in better heart, and went about his usual occupations with more hope and pleasure than he had known for many days.' The birds were once more hung out to sing in their old places, and the sweetest wild flowers that could be found were once more gathered to gladden rose with their beauty. The melancholy which it seemed to the sad eyes of the anxious boy to hang, for days pass over every object, beautiful as all were, was dismelled by magic. The dew seemed to sparkle more brilliantly on the green leaves, the air to rustle among them for a the sweeter music. The sky itself to look more blue and bright. Such is the influence which the condition of our own thoughts exercise even over the appearance of external objects. Men who look on nature and their fellow-men and cry that all was dark and gloomy are in the right, but the sober corners are reflections from their own jaundiced eyes and hearts. The real hues are delicate and need a clearer vision. It is worthy of remark, and Oliver did not fail to note it at the time. This morning expeditions were no longer made alone. Harry he Maylie, after the very first morning when he met Oliver coming laden home, was seized with such a passion for flowers, and displayed such a taste in their arrangement as left his young companion far behind. If Oliver were behindhand in these respects, he knew where the best were to be found. And morning after morning they scoured the country together and brought home the fairest that blossomed. The window of the young lady's chamber was open now, for she loved to feel the rich summer air stream in, and revive her with its freshness. But there always stood, in water, just inside the lattice, one particular little bunch, which was made up with great care every morning. Oliver could not help noticing the withered flowers were never thrown away, although the little vase was regularly replenished nor could he help observing that whenever the doctor came into the garden he invariably cast his eyes up to that particular corner nodded his head most expressively as he set forth on his morning's walk. Pending these observations the days were flying by, and Rose was rapidly recovering, nor did Oliver's time hung heavy on his hands, although the young lady had not yet left her chamber, and there were no evening walks, save now and then for a short distance with Mrs. Maylie. He himself, with redoubled astuidity, to the instructions of the white-headed old gentleman, and labelled so hard that his quick progress surprised even himself. It was while he was engaged in this pursuit, that he greatly startled and distressed, and a most unexpected occurrence. The little room in which he was accustomed to sit, when busy with his books, was on the ground floor, at the back of the house. It was quite a cottage room. With a lattice window, around which were clusters of jessamine and honeysuckle, They crept over the casements and filled the place with their delicious perfume. He looked into the garden, whence a wicked gate opened into a small paddock. All beyond was wet iron meadowland and wood. There was no other dwelling near in that direction, and the prospect it commanded was very extensive. One beautiful evening, when the first shadows of twilight were beginning to settle upon the earth, "'Oliver sat at the whiz window, intent upon his books. "'He had been poring over them for some time, "'and as the day had been uncommonly sultry, "'and he had deserted himself a great deal. "'It was no bestargement to the authors, "'whoever they may have been, "'to say that gradually, and by slow degrees, he fell asleep. "'There is a kind of sleep that steals upon us sometimes, "'which, while it holds the body a prisoner, "'does not free the mind from a sense of things about it and enabled it to ramble at its pleasure, so far as an overpowering heaviness, a prostration of strength, and an utter inability to control our thoughts on power of motion, can be called sleep. This is it. And yet we have a consciousness of all that is going on about us, and if we dream at such a time, words which are really spoken, or sounds which really exist at the moment, accommodate themselves with surprising readiness to our visions, until reality and imagination become so strangely blended that it is afterwards almost matter of impossibility to separate the two. Nor is this the most striking phenomenon incidental such a state. It is an undoubted fact that although our senses of touch and sight by the, for the time dead, yet our sleeping thoughts and the visionary scenes that pass before us will be influenced and materially influenced by the mere silent presence of some external object which may not have been near us when we closed our eyes, and in which whose vicinity we have had no waking consciousness. Oliver knew perfectly well that it was in his own small room, his books were lying on the table before him, that the sweet air was stirred among the creeping plants outside, and yet he was asleep. Suddenly the scene changed. The air became close and confined, and he thought with a glow of terror that he was in the Jew's house again. There sat the hideous old man in his accustomed corner, pointing at him and whispering to another man with his face averted who sat beside him. Hush, my dear, he thought he heard the Jew say, It is he sure enough. Come away. He the other man seemed to answer. "'Could I mistake him, think you? "'He had a crowd of ghosts went about themselves, into his exact shape, "'and he stood among them. "'There is something that would tell me how to point him out. "'You buried him fifty feet deep, "'and took me across his grave, I fancy I should know. "'There weren't a mark above it, "'and he, he lay buried there.' "'The man seemed to say this with such a dreadful hatred "'that Oliver awoke with a fear, "'and started up. "'Good heaven, what was that?' Which sent the blood tingling to his heart and deprived pride of his voice and the power to move. There, there, at the window, close before him, so close that he could almost have touched him before he stood at his back, with his eyes peering into the room, meeting his, there stood the Jew. Beside him, white with rage or fear, or both, were the scowling features of the man who had accosted him in the inn yard. It was but an instant a glance, a flash, before his eyes, and they were gone, but they had recognised him, and he them. and their look was as firmly impressed upon his memory as if it had been deeply carved in stone and set before him from his birth. He stood transfixed for a moment, then leaping from the window into the garden, called loudly for help." Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, Chapter 34, End